there's no greater rivalry in college sports than Duke and North Carolina. Welcome back to Tobacco Road, ladies and gentlemen. You may have thought that we disappeared forever, but we are finally making our triumphant comeback <laughs> a month after the uh, the door closed on the 2012-2013 NCAA season. We've all wept our tears. We've all mourned the loss of our beloved teams and our beloved game of college basketball. And now it's time to uh, to take a look back. So now we come to the end of the road, and we're making the, the transition the village uh, of yesteryear. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so as always, this is the Blue vs. Blue podcast bringing you the best of talk about Duke and UNC because they are two hates that hate so great together. I am Zeke Smith, your host, representing the Carolina contingent, and joining me via the, the Skype line back there in Durham, North Carolina, Mr. Bart Matthews. Uh, and in breaking news, um, the entire UNC athletic department has been scheduled for rotator cuff surgery after patting, injuring themselves, patting themselves on the back <laughs> after receiving their rings for winning the Coastal Division in for winning, quote unquote, the Coastal Division. <laughs> <laughs> History will vilify us. <laughs> let the let the record show. Mm-hmm. Well, Carolina is just used to making so many, you know, championship banners and trophies, and, oh, and yes. it's just it's <laughs> difficult to get out of the habit of. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's all I can say to to justify that because there's not really anything else to say. <laughs> no, Thanks sure for bringing it up again. Yeah. And uh, that other voice that you heard chiming in was the uh, equally gleeful Alex Smith. Yeah, it's it's almost feels like it's going back into fall weather here in Durham. We still haven't really had summer. Uh, it's sixty <laughs> degrees. It feels like we're we've swapped places with you that we're in England. You stole our weather, England. You're welcome. Curse uh, you. Yeah, just don't don't uh, don't come crying to me when the when you finally get your sunshine and it's a hundred yeah. degrees and three hundred percent humidity. Okay. I'm sure you'll be enjoying the weather just just as much over there. Indeed. Um, so as I said, it's it's a time now for reflection here on the Blue versus Blue podcast to look back on the season that was, and I think we've we've each gotten a little bit of distance from the way that uh, that our teams ceremoniously ended their season, and a little bit of perspective. So I thought I might be able to ask you guys um, just what your general thoughts on the 2012-2013 Duke season were, and especially because I know that both of you attended the the year-end banquet. So maybe even you know, how the players and coaches kind of summed up the season and, and what their thoughts were. It's really overwhelmingly positive. I mean, vis-a-vis the banquet and even, even before we got there, the, the, I think the general feeling amongst the Duke fan base was, was really a good one. And e- even beyond the sort of all things considered stance, which you could have based on all the injuries that, that were incurred over the sure. course of the year, getting to an elite eight, um, losing to the eventual champion, having a 30-win season. You know, if, and if you want to take the injuries into account, you can. But, like, that's that's a pretty successful year by pretty much any standard of measure. Um, and the, I would say that really just the ACC tournament first-round loss to Maryland was the only real sort of lasting blemish mm-hmm. on what I consider to be otherwise a, a really positive and successful year. And the what-if game... I've sort of stopped playing. I mean, it's a very fan thing to do, but it seems like it's happened a lot to us recently, and sure. that just does, that just doesn't get you anywhere. Not anywhere good. Not anywhere uh, good at any rate. Well, and so many fan base, so many fan bases could play the what if game over and over again. Honestly, right. so it, it, it's not produ- It's not really especially productive. But Eric, Alex, do you have anything to? Yeah, I think for me, the the thing that always having a little bit of distance away from the immediacy of the loss and the abruptness of, you know, the season coming to an end. People might point to, you know, getting, you know, blown out by Louisville in the second half. Um, But, you know, which was disappointing, of course. Um, That would be the only other, I would say, you know, blemish that I would add to the Maryland debacle in the ACC tournament. That we didn't make that last game more competitive. That we we didn't have the juice to to hang in there Mm -hmm. against them. Of course, the Kevin Ware fuel 
is definitely to be considered. In yeah, that as well. for sure, for sure. But I, but I think that the thing that the the banquet really highlights is putting in perspective a that these are seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old kids that we're dealing with, and and seeing the growth of all three of the seniors who spoke at the banquet. Seth, who actually put more than three sentences together voluntarily, perhaps uh, <laughs> the first time and, ever, and was really funny, actually, yeah. and, and, and and engaging. And um, you know, Ryan Kelly, you know, when you stop and think about where he was as a freshman, um, talked a lot about gratitude. You know, had a, a real, you know, you know, loving vibe going on, and and you see how Coach K's family has pervaded the entire pr- program that that concept of family is not just a name, that it really is, you know, his daughters and their extended family that, that really, it, you know, we're living in the twilight perhaps, but in the, in the heyday of this. And it makes you wonder like what that transition is going to be like, but also I I don't want to shortchange saying something about Mason Plumley too, who by all accounts from the banquet last year really took on the challenge of, um, being a leader and leading the team and, you know, becoming a dominant big man and, and in some ways like realizing the potential that, we, that everybody said was just tantalizing and teasing us for three years. And that's, and that's an important point too, is that this season compared to the way last season ended, this team really seemed to like each other a lot as, as Alex is sort of hinting at. Right. That- a strong sense of leadership coming from Mason from the beginning. It had this season had a lot of the things that last season lacked. Yeah, right, in, including a satisfactory, a relatively satisfactory finish. Yeah. So relative to and and having yeah, just some some resignation that you were running into kind of a buzzsaw. And, yeah, I mean and, everything that was going on. And it was still we you know we were together and played hard until the end, and it, it wasn't the sense of like a washout. It was just like okay, we went out there and we got beat and. You got know, beat by a better team. Yeah, and there's honor in that, you know. Yeah. And so I, I, I would I would say that having it points to the fact that having seniors is a really nice thing too. To as Alex points out, to see the growth and maturation process like come to fruition, which in this day and age is it's not often that you have three of them. Um, so that's been kind of a nice thing. What do you What are your thoughts on uh, UNC's? season my friend what kind of bow would you put on that yeah well it's, i mean it's interesting it's an interesting one to think about just because in terms of preseason expectations they didn't quite meet that but it was a fun run that they went on at the end and and obviously i mean with the caveat i know we we say it over and over again but we are kind of a spoiled program um right. you know when you when you look back at the way the year ended and you see something like the fact that dexter strickland is the first four-year player under Roy Williams not to win a national championship. Right. Um, which is pretty cool. And yeah. and just, you know, the amount of achievement that Carolina has still had in recent years relative to this one kind of puts it in perspective. But I think that the thing that was really hard for me as a fan and selfishly the thing that I really wanted but didn't get out of this year is just one big kind of moment or marquee win. Something right. to really like hang my hang my hat on in terms of memories made, and and I feel like this has actually been the second year in a row that that's sort of been the case. I mean, as dominant as Carolina was last year, and all the big guns that they brought to the table, they didn't really have one super memorable moment um, where you thought this is a this is a you know this is a juggernaut coming awake. Um, I, I think that's a really good point. Um. And, you know, it, it's good to have because we're also tournament focused and result oriented at the end of the year. And, and so many seasons get defined exclusively by that. Um, it, it's nice to even though it's in, in a negative way, you're reflecting on it. Right. But still to think like having a good season also entails having good wins during the course of the year as well. Right. Like feeling to, to push you over the edge in terms of feeling good about your year. Like, yeah, could, would a final four have been better than an elite eight for Duke? Sure. But there were some good wins in the, in, on the way there. Yeah, it's almost kind of what resonates with you more. Yeah. And, and I think that you know Duke's early season success, some of those huge wins that they had, the big win with Ryan Kelly returning against Miami, those are wins that are going to resonate for a long time. I mean, you, know, you, you literally wrote an article afterwards that was talking about where to put that performance in the pantheon of all-time great 
Cameron yeah. performances. Yeah, Coach K alluded and, to that in the banquet and and said point blank, it's the greatest performance he's ever seen in well, Cameron. And there you go. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously that's a moment that, you know, for, for the fans who are there, they're going to really rem- remember and take home. And I think, you know, the moments that I would remember last year as a Carolina fan would be, you know, the, the last second loss to Kentucky in what was a, a really, really well-played game, but ultimately a loss um, right. with John Henson getting his shot blocked. And then, you know, the loss at home with, with the Austin Rivers three at the buzzer. Right. And, you know, we had a couple of other really good games, the tournament win against NC State in the ACC tournament. Yeah. And then ultimately kind of remembering the season for the injuries that happened towards the end of the year, John Henson getting so banged up, and then Kendall Marshall breaking his wrist. Um, and then this year had kind of a similar feel. You know, we we played – it was a bizarre um, season in the in – the, the way that things played out just in terms of we had no real quality wins, but we had no real awful losses either. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, that's really rare, honestly, in, in a college basketball season that either one, I think it's, I think it's remarkable. It's a strangeness. Um, And so it's difficult to figure out how you feel about it. I just wish that I could have remembered a little bit of something more than just, you know, the, the, the season really went small ball. I guess that's what we'll ultimately kind of remember and compare it every time a small ball lineup goes in um, into the game for the next couple of seasons. We'll be like, oh, yeah, this reminds me of, yeah. you know, 2013. I don't think you guys will be playing too much small ball based on the way your roster is looking for <laughs> yeah, next year. exactly. <laughs> Probably not. Small ball will be, you know, having four guys on the court that are that are all 6'9". That'll be uh, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. We're, we're, we're going away from that a little bit next year, but yeah, I mean, it'll be, um, it'll be ultimately kind of remembered for that, but not really wistfully. Uh, I won't be pining for, for the times that we beat, you know, Maryland a couple of times in a row and, uh, feasted on the likes of Clemson and a reeling NC state team and that kind of thing. I, I just think the, it was the ultimate middle of the road season. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, thank goodness that, that a, an eight seed and a second round loss can be considered middle of the road for right. Carolina. And that, right. you know, we look to be right back in it next year, but ultimately it was, it was a, a slightly unfulfilling season as a fan. And hopefully we can, you know, we can make some big moments next year that, that Carolina fans will re- really remember and point to. I think we certainly have, you know, emerging stars and guys who are emotionally charged enough to, to create big moments. I guess PJ Hairston's kind of emergence in the ACC as, as Carolina's number one threat, I guess, and, and their well, key cog, um, maybe something that really sticks with us. Well, let's transition from that into just a little bit of a discussion from your end about the fact that Hairston decided to return, Bullock decided to leave, and how people feel in general, not that you can speak for everyone, but your sense of McAdoo's return, which is met with this strange combination of uh, gladness and trepidation or something. <laughs> well, you can't really be upset, right? I mean, I, about him coming back, but it does it does sort of feel like, wow, he was a lottery pick two years ago, borderline first-round pick this year. What what happens? Does he, does he get better? And yeah, exactly. Some- I mean, I think all throughout the season, we kind of, you know, he came back with with the assumption for us um, that he was probably going to be gone after this year. And we didn't, or at least I, as a Carolina fan, had not really heard a lot of murmurings about Reggie Bullock possibly leaving. And that didn't really cross my mind. So I think the vast majority of fans, probably if you had asked them at some point during the season what what they thought was going to happen, they probably would have said, we think Hairston and Bullock are going to come back and McAdoo is going to leave. So right. when McAdoo announced that he was coming back, well, I think Hairston announced first, so that was great. Everybody was, you know, very excited about that. I think most most fans are kind of assuming that he is going to be Carolina's star guy next year. Yeah, I would think I so. I think it's, it's reasonable to anticipate he may be the leading scorer in the ACC next yeah. year. To be honest. Yeah, uh, and then when, when, you know, McAdoo and Bullock kind of made their announcements and it was the re- the reverse of what, most people expected. I guess. I guess a lot of people sort of saw the writing on the wall with Reggie Bullock and and a lot of talk. You know, 
being made about his family situation and, right. um, you know, having a kid on the way and all that kind of stuff. So people m- might have uh, come to grips with that situation by the time the official announcement was actually made. Um, but then to see McAdoo come back was a little bit like, oh, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> right. And I think there, <laughs> exactly. there, there wasn't a, a grandiose, oh, thank goodness, kind of big celebration because he was probably... We're saved! Yeah, he he was probably the player that we could have afforded to lose most, right? Um, just yeah. just in terms of guys at you know with providing depth at various positions, but like you said, yeah, I, you can't be ungrateful that he's coming back because he is a second team All ACC performer, um, and as you know, for for all the problems that uh, that we have with him, Alex in particular, you know. I'm thrilled he's going to be around. I got another year of picking on him. It's going to be awesome. And there is the chance that he could improve. Well, he'll he'll be better. I mean, I I, I he can't he can't he can't get any worse. I, I really don't I really don't think that. And um, you know, I I'm I'm not I'm not happy as a Duke fan that he's going to be another experienced guy like you said that you have the bodies down low, especially with, with the guys coming in, um, you know, that could replace him, but not his experience and, and not based on anything I've seen, you know, his scoring acumen. Um, I'm, I'm happy to have his shot selection back as a Duke fan (laughs) one more year, but, um, but he's going to have more help down low next year. Yeah, it's gonna. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see him paired with somebody who is offensively capable at the five and see him kind of return to the, the position that he seems to be much more comfortable in. Um, Zeke, Zeke, talk for just a second about Bullock leaving and what the impact of that. On the, on the team, yeah, not, on the not team, necessarily the, the surprise of it, which I yeah. think we all would agree and concur with. Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be difficult just because it places Carolina in a situation where they're going to have some a, a lack of depth on the wings. And it, and it would have been great to return two really experienced, really quality players in Hairston and Bullock at those positions. I think it would have, you know, would have cemented Carolina as a as a title contender at least, even without getting Andrew Wiggins, which is still a possibility that's that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as he leaves now, you see between you know the the two and the three. Um, we basically have Leslie McDonald, PJ Harrison, and JP Tokoto, uh, Tokoto, and then that's pretty much it. Um, right. And so we can ill afford to have somebody injured or have some kind of other problem at those positions because um, that's that's going to be a shallow area. And in some ways, that's okay because if there are you know a couple of guys that I'm okay with seeing them play 30 minutes a night, at least it's a senior and a junior. Right, um, but man, if one of those guys gets in foul trouble or we experience some other problems, we really might see the reverse small ball lineup uh, <laughs> with, with just this, you know, towering, uh, you Big know, ball. group of giants taking the floor for Carolina. Mark, Marcus Page and four power forwards. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out. Who is bas- who will basically be running the inverse? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. going gonna, gonna to make for some really interesting matchups for, for next year. Um, and so before we get to the future of Duke Carolina, since I know that you guys went to Boo Williams, let's take just a moment to kind of close the door on the college basketball season. And let me just ask you, what's, what's sort of the one thing that you think you guys will take away or remember from this season as a whole? Um, I'm going to say just the massive amount of turnover at the top during the course of the year and how mm. – no one seemed to be able to hold the number one spot. I, I can't recall a year where things seemed to be that fluid. Um, and yet, when it came down to the very end, I feel like the best team was the team that won, which doesn't always happen, although it's two years in a row. Um, I mean, last year, Carolina and Kendall Marshall's injury notwithstanding. Sure. The, the best team won, and then this year the best team won again after all of that you know, sort of infighting that was taking place in the top five to eight teams. And in a team where it was said that could be anybody's tournament, the best team going into the tournament won the whole thing Mm -hmm. after all. So it ended up being fairly predictable in that sense at any rate. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Alex? 
Um, to me, I think it's it's maybe it's, it's sort of related to volatility, but the the emergence of of smaller and mid major programs being representatives in the final four. That this is mm-hmm. you know now an, another another team that's kind of unheralded. Wichita State, like a year later, everybody was thinking Wichita State was going to be um, you know the team last year, and not necessarily like senior laden team. Right. Um, you know, they graduated most of their really big pieces, you know, last season. Yeah. And so they were, they were a surprise. It's officially a trend. They, I mean, they, <laughs> they had the benefit of, you know, for, say what you want to say about Gonzaga, you know, the proof was in the, in the pudding for whichever side of the argument you're on, you're, you're like, f- find fuel for the fire there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think that's it. That's it again. An interesting trend in the in the increasing parity. You know, there's yes, there's a, a dominant representation in, of the Power Six conferences and you know Elite Eights and Final Fours. But it's not necessarily that's. It's more about like the elite of those conferences. Sure. And a team like Wichita State, you know, would do very well in the ACC. Yeah, and, and never before. You know, have we seen, like you said, this continuing trend of smaller, smaller mid-major programs making it as deep into the tournament and and getting to the Final Four, even as we have, you know, in consecutive years? Yeah, and people will start a really good game. Yeah, for part for most of that. People game. will start adjusting their, their brackets now in years. They're going to pick one of these teams, right? We're going to everybody start thinking it like, who's going to be the Wichita State this year? If you get it right, it's a gold mine. But you're you're gonna have to start figuring one team out of these final four teams is gonna be someone that nobody expects to yeah. be there. Yeah, and and I think again, you know, it, related to that, we just see how crucial good coaching is, and we kind of see how well Greg Marshall has done with that program. And like you said, they gave Louisville a really good game, and they played kind of a variety of different teams during the course of their run, and gave them trouble in different kinds of ways. You know, they. They made it to the Final Four on the strength of sort of their their physicality on defense and their three-point shooting, but they still played, you know, an up-and-down team in in Gonzaga. They played uh, kind of a a high-pressuring team in Louisville Mm -hmm. and, you know, dominated for large stretches of that game. So you see different coaches who are able to adjust their game plans on the fly and and players who are receptive to that and aren't just depending on, you know, playing above the rim – yeah, I mean, and that and that is a uh, you know, and it's hard. It's tough ass defense and offensive rebounding. It's the Michigan State model, um, which I think provides a segue into what one thing you wanted to mention, Zeke, in terms of the kind of defense that you can play in college basketball. <laughs> these yeah, days. yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the one of the major things that I'll remember from this season, I think, is just the the rise of defense. And I know we've, uh, you know, most of us who are hardcore college basketball fans have already heard guys like Jay Billis kind of getting on their soapbox about this throughout the tournament and talking about it. But I did feel like it was really noticeable this year just how much, you know, hard checking there is out on the perimeter um, by different guards. And, and the general flow of the game just seemed to slow down a lot in, in a lot of places. And, uh, I mean, scoring is down overall. You know, I've, I've seen a couple of different statistics about that. But, you know, we saw a, a team that, it probably is not coincidentally had a lot of talent on defense uh, win it all this year and and ultimately thrive in that in that situation. Um, although that having been said, I think the other major thing that I'll remember from this season was the NCAA championship game, oh, where yeah. you know it, it turned out into kind of a, a reverse of what we're usually used to from from the NCAA tournament, where we get a handful Thank of goodness. really great yeah. It was not Connecticut versus Butler, that's oh, for sure. Let us let us never speak of that game again. Um, or or even Duke Butler, which was not a great game until the you know, the last stretch, to be honest. But uh, well, this, yeah, the storylines were, were really great. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So but finally this year we got two big time programs, both really playing at a high level, both you know, both team stars playing really well. Yeah, uh, maybe apart from Russ Smith, who who didn't have a great championship game, but had a great tournament. Um, and overall, it was just it was just really an awesome game to watch. 
Um, yeah, a trade a trading punches kind of game. Yeah, punches. yeah, exactly. And you and you got the feeling that either of those teams would have been worthy champions. Yeah, um, yeah. and deserve to be in that game for how well they played. So that was that was a nice thing to to close the door on the the season with, and at least remember the year by. So yeah. overall, kind of a an an, an uneven uh, year for college basketball, but at least it ended on a high note. So yes, sure. I was hoping we get that every year. Um, now we're uh, we're moving away from uh, from the, this past season of college basketball, and now it is time, of course, to discuss uh, with all of our gusto and recruiting frothing at the mouth the future of uh, Tobacco Road. Since you guys attended a couple weeks ago the Boo Williams tournament, um, and I think <coughs> for even for those who um, who read both of, you, of your recaps on Blue, Blue versus Blue, which if you guys haven't read those already, get over there now and read Bart and Alex's breakdown on um, on both classes of 2014 and 2015 players. Um, I think it's definitely worth just talking about generally your impressions from the tournament and just what going to an event like that is actually like, and and you know what the experience of seeing all these kids who are going to be playing for big time programs in the future and seeing all those coaches and stuff is actually like, so I, I guess I wanted to start off, you know, by, by, um, before we get into talking about individual players by asking, what is that environment, um, really like to be in well, for, for a couple of days? Yeah, it's, it's our, it's our second, second, uh, tournament. Bart's, Bart's now been to three, went to Williams just for a day or two last year. Um, First of all, I, I, it's worth noting since we probably won't talk about them much. Uh, we we had a couple of notable misses. Grayson Allen was injured, didn't make the trip, and uh, Jaleel Okafor um, was again dealing with a nagging injury. He he displayed some uh, really good athletic prowess, carrying Gatorade to all of his teammates when they came out. <laughs> of the game. Um, he, he he is a really good team guy, actually. Is what that points to more than anything else, and 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 uh, he's also bored. Yes, and he's a big, doofy, seventeen-year-old kid. That was the thing that I was reminded of. Big, doofy. big, yeah. Emphasis anyway. on big. So, so that with those with those caveats thrown in, it's it is such a weird scene. I have to tell you. I, I mean, we, we we tried to encapsulate that in the initial introduction, but you know, it's this huge mega building with eight basketball courts. It's a cacophony of sound. You see every college coach that you that you both immediately recognize, and you're like, "Where do I know that guy from?" Yeah. You know, wandering around in in their their you know Long Island tracksuits of their their various colors, and then you got uh, what's his name from uh, from Baylor with his uh, annoying neon Baylor Scott Drew, Scott Drew. Um, still annoying, um, <laughs> and. Yeah, it's you just, feel like a fly on the wall. Yeah, it's just such a it's such a machine. I think that yeah. to me is the is the biggest uh, feeling that comes Ooh. you know because it, they they compress these weekends. These kids are still in, still in high school. school. You know, they fly probably take the day off. They play you know two rounds of game, two games on Friday, three games on Saturday, two games on Sunday, and and you know it's just like one right after another. They start at eight a.m. on Saturday. It's, this is like the basketball industrial complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it, but it's it's such a gulag. I mean, that's that's the thing that that is my like impression or my one word for the for and the. Do kind you of, kind of get the impression that like everybody knows why they're there? You know. Oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, everybody yeah. knows what what function they're making. Everyone's like largely going through the motions. I will say that. Um, maybe because this is a little bit earlier in the AAU season, that coaches seemed a little bit more actively engaged and watching um, the games. One of the things that from the Peach Jam last year, which was the end of the AAU, it's kind of the championship, and there's only 24 teams. This is 40 teams of just the the top level uh, right. guy, and um, and so maybe maybe by the end of the AAU circuit, the coaches have seen enough. And so there was a lot of looking at cell phones. Yeah, at Peach a lot of cell phone year. watching at the end of the summer but last there, year. There seems to be more more engaging uh, and watching and taking notes and you know chatting with one another uh, of watching these guys since these, these are all rising seniors and juniors. And I will say a word on just the games in general. That first of all, they're forty five minutes long, which is uh, super compressed. 
which kind of makes it fun. Um, but they're also, as one might expect, up and down. Um, but not in the McDonald's All-American sense. Like, these teams are actually competing. They're it's competing kind of matador defense. No, no, no. Like, defense, there are zone defenses being played. I mean, there's actual defense going on. However, uh, the officials don't call any fouls <laughs> because they don't want to slow the game down. So the game just goes nonstop. Right. Um, I mean, it is a, a, a fast-paced, furious, tightly competitive game game in general and so it's really fun i mean in terms of watching the games i thought at one point i was like wow this is like way more fun than the acc tournament has been in years like i, <laughs> I wish i wish more there's no virginia's playing and <laughs> you know what i'm saying and, yeah, and exactly I, yeah it's 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 like it's playground-esque in that way and that the only times fouls get called is when they're egregious yeah you know when it's so bad that someone is like trip down and falling on the floor, but there's a lot of contact that goes uncalled yeah. Yeah. for the sake of getting these games done in, in an in, hour, in an hour. But it, but it sounds like you guys were actually enjoying that aspect of it. Not sort of bemoaning, you know, the, the lack of fouls called or anything like that. Oh, no, no, no. That it was, it was great. I mean, no. it's a showcase. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting combination of showcase and tournament competitive tournament. And some teams play like the, more of the sort of um, YMCA style of offense where whoever is touching the ball when it comes across half court, that person is going to be 90% to <laughs> shoot. Uh, but other teams do not uh, and, and, and really play more with more strategery and like trying to, trying to get things moved around a little bit. So, right. um, and you wanted to, you had some questions about specific. Yeah, definitely. So I, I thought it might be worth asking you guys just in, instead of breaking down individual players. Um, but I did, you know, want to ask you maybe who made the, the biggest impression on you guys? Like what, who individually really stood out start to finish uh, over the course of the tournament? Um, that's a pretty easy one. It was clear in the write-up that we gave as well, but Tyus Jones is easily okay. the most impressive guy there. There was not. Now the caveat there a little bit is that we were focused on games that included guys that we knew UNC and Duke were interested in, and there right. are forty teams there. Sure. So we sure. probably okay. didn't see more than twenty teams total. I'm guessing. Yeah, so. and some and some of the you know D'Angelo Russell, who's a, the top-rated shooting guard in that class, we didn't even get to see him play. Um, so I mean, there's there's plenty of people that we would have missed. Right. So that's a, that's a good that's a good reminder. Yeah, but, guys, but again, guys, at least on the Tobacco Road radar. Right. Yeah, yeah, he's he's he is uh, he's an impressive specimen. Tyus Jones. Yeah, I mean, he was the second best player at Boo Williams last year as a junior, and uh, there was not there was not really a lot of competition for for most impressive. Has the the complete package offensively, just really. Is calm, cool, and collected. Was a little bit more vocal, a little bit more uh, actively controlling his teammates. Um, can score in a variety of ways. Does not doesn't play above the rim, um, but he can dunk. And there are uh, guys you would say that were on another level athletically, and then there are guys that you say are on another level as just basketball players, right? Mm, like okay. he's he's the latter. Like he is he is playing an advanced game of basketball um you know I, I almost feel like those guys sometimes make a better transition to the college game because they're <laughs> used to depending on something other than just their freakish athletic ability you know to to rack up points and to make right, an impact is, on the game yeah more, made, made more freakish when you're playing against other high school kids yeah you know yeah that right exactly so and, i mean uh, so you guys kind of think he might come in and start from day one. Is he that type of an impact player uh, for Duke potentially? If he, if we should be so fortunate as to get him to come to Duke, uh, he would start from day one, and you would be looking at a backcourt of Tyus and Quinn Cook, yeah, as a senior, mm. much like they did when they started um, Jay Will and uh, Chris Duhan. Duhan. Okay. Uh, it's that he he's not some he can't there's no way he's on the bench for anybody. So you think he is on the level of a one and done type guy? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, now you know as far as the guys who maybe haven't committed to Duke or or anything like that, 
Um, who do you want to see most end up in a in a Blue Devil uniform? Or, or who is it that you're most looking forward to coming to Duke, if not Tyus Jones? Because I know right. you, you've already talked uh, about him. Yes. Uh, I'll say uh, Justice Winslow. Um, it's interesting, like, all of these guys uh, it, it, that UNC either has gotten or that Duke and UNC are looking at, I'll, I'll kind of fit this mold a little bit, like we said, the type of guys who play with enough savvy that it seems like the transition from high school to, to college would be pretty easy for them and, and not just exclusively lying on freakish athletic ability. Um, and Justice is a guy who has a good combination of all of them, um, really strong, very smart, hmm. and, and really great leadership characteristics. He is, he is the guy, he is the glue guy who also happens to be really good, really, really good, and also a good a freakishly good athlete. Yeah, um, I mean, I think you wrote in the um, in the recap something about him even playing point guard for his uh, yeah. for his AAU team. Yeah, and yeah. who, by the way, was undefeated in at Boo Williams. Yeah, and 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 from the LA weekend as well is still and, undefeated. Right, right, sorry, they're undefeated in on in and, the season. An so incredibly far. long team at at six six. He was the smallest guy on the in the on the floor for his starting lineup. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a high school team. That's uh, so. That's cattle hormones for for you, I think, <laughs> in Texas. Texas. So uh, yeah, that yeah. It, it, we kept joking that they're the kind of team that, like, when you show up to the gym, you're like, "Who are we playing?" And then you look <laughs> at the guys around, you're like, "What?" <laughs> well, really? I mean, Crap. it's I'm supposed to guard. Oh wait, I'm guarding Justice Winslow. Oh, that's funny. Like, that's I'm funny. I'm the scrappy five eleven point right. guard, guarding a guy who's seven inches taller who's than six me. six two fifteen. Yeah. Right. that's yeah. Go well. I guess I'll just go ahead and sit down and wait for the next game to start. It's also one one thing that you mentioned there that I wanted to sort of uh, you know side take a little sidebar here and ask about is as you're watching these guys, are there are there certain guys that you can identify and sort of say? that looks like a Duke guy to me or that looks like a Carolina guy or even yes. other, you know, even other schools like, oh, he really seems like a Michigan State type of player or something yes. like that. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I, I think, think so. I mean, there's there's a little bit of that uh, c- confirmation bias whenever you kind of know that already. But well, sure. well, we did. We actually definitely said that we with with guys like Rashad Vaughn and Ivan Rab. We we like uh, I, I don't I don't I don't want to say it, but that guy looks like a totally a Carolina guy. I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't think he is. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, or or someone like Stanley Johnson, who Duke is recruiting, who I turned to Alex and said, "I I got my money on Kentucky for this guy." Huh. He, something about him s- s- seemed. I mean, and I don't, and I really don't mean that in a negative way. It just seemed like a K- Kentucky esque something. Yeah, the, sure. there's definitely some some thin slicing from some Malcolm Gladwell thin slicing that uh, that happens. Yeah, that's a very good question. That's a very good question, though. Yeah, and you do, you that, I think that's the thing that I was that I was really interested in about these tournaments. So, so Alex, what about you? I mean, is there one guy that you really want to see come to come to Duke out of the the handful of guys that you watched? Yeah, giving giving Tyus Jones a pass. There's um, a rising junior, Elijah Thomas, who we saw lefty, but shoots his free throws right-handed. Oddly enough, um, okay. You know, a true a true power forward, not a stretch four. Um, you know, he's maybe and maybe will grow into being a, a true center. Um, he's on Duke's radar for sure. You know, 2015. Um, Displayed real, a really good inside game, really polished inside game for a guy who's just finished his sophomore year of high school. Um, real tenacity, able to grab. Had uh, his best quality, I would say, was has just amazing hands, hmm. catching the ball in traffic. He's not he's not super athletic. He's not a great leaper, um, he's but just big and dexterous. Big and, and dexterous, strong. and and so like that obviously is something that. Um, would be nice in a Duke uniform. He totally reminded me of the more oh, I is thought. He, is he the guy who you compared to Elton Brand? That is correct. You just took the words out okay, of my mouth. Yeah. 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 The long, long arms, strong, amazing hands, smart, great passer, and just broad-shouldered and big country boy. Like, um, Yeah, he, would, be, would be kind of a nice departure from the team that you're about to watch, I guess, in, in some <laughs> yes, ways. Yes, exactly. Uh, yep. With, with absolutely exactly. no true center or... No, nope. uh, you know, dominant inside presence. Yeah, another, it's another reason to hope for Jalil Okafor, who <laughs> is like the size of the lane. 
Right. Um, Fingers crossed. Okay, so so getting away from talking about just all the Duke guys, um, I did want to certainly ask you about the UNC commits that you watched. Um, Joel Berry was at the tournament. Justin Jackson was at the tournament. Um, what were your overall impressions of those two guys, um, especially you know seeing them and, and knowing that they're actually going to come to UNC for sure, not just being potential um, Carolina players? Are you and gritting more, your teeth at them already? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, more guys who are going to fit in really well um, at the college level. I, I, I don't think either – I can't see either of them having much trouble making that adjustment. Um, Justin Jackson, in terms of strength, will have um, a steep learning curve. He's just got he just got to get stronger, and that's all there is to it. But sure, in, terms sure. of, in terms of his mind and his skill set – I don't see him having any trouble at all. And and what do you think? It was sort of the same. Joel Berry, just very solid, very competent. Yeah. And I don't mean that as a, a backhanded compliment either. Yeah, I mean, Joel Berry is a, you know, a little uh, fire hydrant of a point guard. Um, is kind of, I mean, Ty Lawson is maybe an unfair comparison. He's not blindingly quick with the Nobody's ball. Nobody's as fast as But in terms of his build, you know, is yeah. kind, of kind of a squat, like stocky, strong um, you know, point guard who's who's again not not um, and as a pass first, get everybody involved from what we saw uh, first. Kind of a kind of a point guard, sure. Probably probably be a really solid four year player. Um, you know, will come in immediately and and be able to you know take backup point guard minutes right away. Um, I kind of think of them both as guys that can really do what need doing. Like I, Joel Berry can score the ball too. Like I mean, there's there's no question about that. It seems like if you need him to score, he'll score. If you need him to pass, to pass. If you need him to slow it down, he'll slow it down. Speed it up, he'll speed it up. I mean, they so both, seem both players that can play equally well in a half court situation as you know, kind of going up and down the floor. Is that yeah? Yeah. Actually, yeah, that's very that that's very accurate. I mean, I th- I think they seem like um, really just solid individuals in in who they are and what they do. Um, I, again, neither one of neither one of those guys is blowing you away with his athleticism at all. Um, but both are very impressive from a basketball skills point of view. They yeah. don't they don't make a lot of mistakes. They don't screw up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I think, and I think, to me, like just again from maybe just a, an impression side, like Joel Berry doesn't seem like a he's not an early entry candidate. He's somebody who will probably be a Thorn and Duke side for four years, and and Justin Jackson maybe has the 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 frame that could fill out and could turn in early, but he's he didn't look a lick stronger from the last year, and so like for that. Again, through my Duke-colored glasses, I'm like, well, he's going to have to stick around at UNC for several years in order to get strong enough <laughs> to play in the NBA. Um, we had we had we'd initially thrown up the the notion of kind of a sh- shorter, less uh, less out- outside threat Ryan Kelly, but Tayshawn Prince is a really good um, comparison some, that somebody threw up in terms of just a real savvy game. Um, the ball will end up in his hands as time expires, and he will put it in from like eight feet. He's that kind of guy. He will he will just dagger people to death. Yeah, it um, seems like just from even from his little highlight reel videos, one of the things that struck me from seeing him is that he's not a guy who's scoring the same way over and over again, and opponents don't have an answer to stop him. You know, it seemed like he was kind of scoring with putbacks, weird little up and under floaters. You oh. know. Uh, mid-range jumpers, an occasional yep. three. Yep. So it seems like he will be that kind of guy for UNC who, who Roy can plug in and pop into the three or four and, and figure out what exactly he needs from him and, and say, go and do that. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's certainly welcome. Now, I mean, other than the, the guys who have definitely committed to UNC, was there anybody who you know was on Carolina's radar that you're especially hoping does not end up um, in Chapel Hill, <laughs> yeah, there there was there was one guy as I, I mentioned him before. Uh, someone we said, well, that certainly seems like a Carolina guy. I hope he goes somewhere else. Um, <laughs> which was Ivan Rab, who is the number one rated power forward um, uh, for 2015, and uh, he is. A, and the comparison I made in the article was to to John Henson. 
He's perfect for Carolina in that he's wiry, athletic, tall, strong, and a great offensive rebounder. Um, he continually got himself in the right position um, on the offensive end and had games of like 18 points and 17 rebounds, and I easily half of his rebounds were offensive, and mm. at least half of his points came off putbacks off those offensive rebounds. Um, and Alex and I, and which is not to say that that's he, he lacks other skill. Like he he actually is pretty good offensively for a guy who's a ju- going to be a junior this year. Yeah. You consider he has two more years to work on his offensive game. His body is already ready to play, mm-hmm. and he could play at college right now based on his body type. Wow. And his athletic ability. Yeah, sure. looks looks stronger than Henson was. Has a more polished offensive game than. Henson displayed his freshman year. There's no awkward. There's no weird awkwardness at all to to how he is on the court. He's very comfortable, even though he's six ten and built built very similarly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, stay away from UNC. <laughs> For me, I'm in the terrible, terrible place. <laughs> I love I love power Crazy. forwards that can that can hit your the draft glass. stock will drop like a stone the second you get there. <laughs> Yeah, you keep you keep beating that that uh, is never alive to death. All those Afro American studies classes aren't available anymore. You actually have to take <laughs> class now. So that that would never involve the basketball team. I don't know what you're talking about. So, so Alex, what about you on on your end? Is there any particular player that you do not want to see end up at Carolina? Well, I, um, there's there are several. Um, I think <laughs> the one maybe at the top of the list. Well, first of all, maybe I should throw out the caveat first is Andrew Wiggins, who's still who's still considering going to UNC. And yes. I know as, as the time drags on, people are getting more and more uh, excited. Um, that, or antsy. That, um, that he might actually go there. I'm not getting excited. Um, so, so and you that, guys have actually be... seen him live, right? I mean, like he, yes. you know, from, from having watched him, he, does he seem like the type of player to you that that will launch Carolina into a, a, yes. a different level? Yes. yes. I mean, be, right. I will pencil you guys into the Final Four if he commits to you. Wow. Yeah, I mean, because he's he's he is a true like NBA ready three. You know, okay. he's six seven six eight. You know, better bounce, better second jump than a lot of people's first jump. Um, polished offensive game, instinctive defender. I mean, he's he is. He's great. He's a great player. We look great in Florida State Garnet. Yes. <laughs> um, enjoy that. Going to your dad's Garnet home. Garnet goal. No. But, but, but speaking to the guys that we saw, specifically at Boo Williams, I would say um, uh, Devin Booker, who is the second or third, you know, somewhere in there, shooting guard in, in his class, in the 2014 class, who was really strongly on Duke's radar, um, and then they got the commit from Grayson Allen. And while that's they're not really the same player, Grayson Allen, again, we didn't see him, but based on reports, is more of a combo guard. Um, right. Can play a little bit more point. And Devin Booker, as we said, is a pure shooting guard. He's not really a ball handler, but great. Um, Very smooth. Player. Smooth, scoring acumen. Um, I think Bart's, Bart's comparison to Wayne Ellington was, was right on. Um and and it so that that again would hurt not only because he's a really good player by all accounts a really stand up guy as well um, good student and the fact that Duke was so close that then go to the rival those those are always the in some ways the mo- the most painful yeah you, if you, if he turns out to be completely awesome I don't want to see him go be completely awesome for Carolina yeah <laughs> given, given that we were right there yeah, you know knowing and, you know, that you had a shot almost almost in the same vein as Wayne Ellington who I mean I right. think had you know had offers from Duke and considered going going there uh, along with Gerald Henderson he did before yeah. eventually uh, before eventually committing to UNC. Um, yeah. And I will say that having a player like that, I mean, almost in the same vein as Andrew Wiggins, who I know you said is more of an NBA three and would play there, but having a guy who is um, dangerous from the outside or, or a dangerous two guard, um, which Carolina would have if Andrew Wiggins committed because we could move Hairston over to the two, makes a huge difference in the way that Carolina operates as a unit. Um, and you know, you see kind of a, a difference in the results that Carolina has had during the Roy Williams era with like how good their two guards have been. 
Um, yeah. You know, it's, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the year they won the title, we had, you know, Rashad McCants and Wayne Ellington as the two guards where we've kind of struggled having, you know, Dex play, play the two the, the past couple of years. Um, and I, you know, I love Dex as a player, really rooted for him, but having an outside threat, a continual reliable outside threat in that position um, really helps the secondary breakout because you, if you have a guy who's kind of trailing, trailing, that's exactly the kind of player that Devin Booker is. Exactly, the so, guy who will trail on that secondary break, uh, a Danny Green even like, and who will just yeah, lag just back it in, and catch it in rhythm and and launch kind of the dagger three when the bigs yeah. have already uh, leapt down the court. Yeah, Rashad Vaughn, who's another guy we looked at, who UNC is is definitely uh, in on, is uh, is a more athletic, um, slightly probably not with quite as good of a shot, but but still a, a good shooter um, version of that. So it definitely seems like a, the type of player Roy uh, Roy understands that I'm sure what you just said. So that I imagine that Devin and Rashad Vaughn are both really high on their list. Yeah, on, on their their want list. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, I mean, it sounds like regardless of what happens with all these guys that we've talked about, you know, Duke and Carolina are probably going to be in pretty safe hands for some years to come. Um, well, you know, and actually, Zeke, let me let me hit pause there because I'll let Alex make this this point. Sure. Um, um, you want to talk about your eggs in one basket kind of thing? Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, the the. For for the 2014 season, okay, so we now we have Grayson Allen, and we have this trio of of Jalil Okafor, Tyus Jones, and Justice, Justice Winslow, and they've talked about playing together. Tyus Jones and Jalil Okafor, maybe a little even more so. They made every all this uh, lots and lots of noise about being a package deal, and Coach mm-hmm. K and Bojo were at every single one of their games. Justice Jalil, even though he wasn't playing, and Tyus. And um, and and to 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 the detriment of like Tyus Jones for whatever reason always was playing opposite Devin Booker and so they were always watching Tyus Jones and not Devin Booker hmm. and and it and it while it's great to feel like you got the inside track on a sort of Kentucky esque class with maybe the best small forward maybe definitely the best point guard and definitely the best center in that class it, it does it does make me feel a little bit nervous to really be going back to some sort of putting all the eggs in one basket, you know, cherry picking, you know, the top, top guys. And then if you miss, I don't know what plan B is for 2014. Yeah. Hmm. So, so just tag on to tag on what you were saying. That's true. We could be in for some really great, awesome stuff or not uh, at all. So there really isn't a plan B. Yeah, you know, so it's all it's all in on these guys for, for it Duke. seems from the Duke camp anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it, I mean, it, isn't that isn't that kind of been his strategy for a little while? And you know, he he kind of didn't hit on a few targets for a couple of years, and that's why people were sort it's, of saying that he, he wasn't the same recruiter. But I think that might just be the the type of guy that he's always been. It, it's true because Emil's recruitment went like that because we were after Shabazz. And Shabazz and Shabazz and Shabazz, and then, oops, we don't have Shabazz. And then we were like, Emil, come to you. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and then, you know, thank God he was like amenable to listening, but he could just as easily have been like, no, nope, sorry, thanks. You guys were looking elsewhere, and I'm going to NC State now. Yeah, and then, a, I'll trans- really and then I'll transfer after a year. <laughs> it's a really interesting study on figuring out like what recruits actually value. Because, I mean, you know, the, the guy, Kay reminds me almost of Nick Saban in a certain way of having an aura unto himself in, in the college basketball sphere now. Like, yeah. I recognize that he, his name and his presence probably carries more weight than Roy Williams yeah. does, yeah. even though yeah. Williams is running, you know, this top-tier program. Yeah. Um, but, at, but at the same time, like, football and basketball are very different games in the way that you recruit, seemingly, figuring out, like, what it is that appeases a certain player and what a, a player really wants to be a part of. Yeah. Um, you know, and it seems like the guys who do end up in Duke want to be a part of the, the legacy of that kind of program, whereas they, the guys who maybe don't want to, or, like, the guys who want, you know, 25 shots a game, for example... In the case of Shabazz Muhammad, um, decide to go elsewhere. 
You're one hundred percent correct. There there is no there is no doubt that Duke sells its brand that way. Like come and be a part of something bigger, come and be a part of this like legacy, come and be a part of learning under the all time winningest coach. These are these are things, and and that that not something they have to say. Like when coach, everybody knows that Coach K is a winningest coach. So when he comes over to your house for an in home visit, you're like, holy crap, it's Coach K. Yeah. Um, and so he sits down and has like a nice normal person conversation with you, and you're like, oh my god, he's like a real guy, and this is so cool. And, and has a really good sense of humor. And has a really well. One thing we know, but and Carolina fans won't want to hear this, but um, he's really really. Funny, funny guy, Coach K. Uh, when you see him out of the context, when you get him out of the the press conference, yeah, you know, um, sort of military head coach context. So he's a really affable guy, and I think I think that that appeals to a lot of recruits and, and families, and we get when they get in homes and stuff. But your 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 assessment of of that recruiting process is exactly correct, I think. Yeah, so and I guess it's it's really hard without knowing exactly what those guys that you were talking about with Justice Winslow and Tyus Jones, what it is that they want and value uh, and want to get out of their you know year or two in college. Uh, it's hard to figure out whether Duke is employing the right strategy in the you know the eggs in one basket strategy because if it does work out, then I guess K can you just got kind a of, lot of really nice eggs in that case. Yeah, you can just point <laughs> at everybody else and laugh. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in in the meantime, I guess fans like yourself are, are left wringing your hands a little bit and kind of wishing that, um, uh, that he was spreading the wealth a little bit more in terms of making his presence felt. I don't know. I think that that is one of the interesting things that, um, that Roy has done at Carolina is really recruited well in advance. Um, Yeah. No question. It seems like they're, they're one of the few programs that seems to secure commitments from guys pretty early on that that's like and, a whole topic of conversation in, in terms of the difference in recruiting duke does not do that yeah and and, and royd absolutely does it and i don't know i don't know if that's also a function of just what carolina is because almost all of those guys who commit so early on like pre-junior season and stuff like that say the sorts of things like i was always a carolina fan growing up you know, I always dreamed about playing for them, that kind of thing. Almost some of the stuff that it sounds like, I, I think I read Grayson Allen saying about yes. coming to Duke. Um, yeah. And so, you know, maybe it's just a function of pushing that process up a little bit and, you know, giving them the chance to make a decision before other coaches get their, get their uh, you know, grubby hands in there. But uh, <laughs> But it's interesting to hear, you know, you guys focus not just on the class of 2014 guys that you saw, but the class of 2015 guys as well. Because I'm sure yeah. that, you know, Carolina already has their eyes on some of those guys, seeing Ivan, as they already have two 2014, you know, yeah. commits. So Ivan Rab already has an offer. He got an offer in December, which I was unaware of. So you guys put in an offer to a sophomore halfway through his sophomore season. Nice. That's so it's and not, a good one. It's not creepy. It's just effective recruiting. (laughs) Well, thanks very much for for reporting back. Um, All great stuff that you guys provided us with uh, and some fantastic insights from the Boo Williams tournament. Yes, Um, grueling grueling but fun. Yes, exactly. You endured your your three-a-day fried chicken meals and... (laughs) You're, uh, you're waking up early and, and watching 15 consecutive basketball games. And for that, we salute you, gentlemen, for your, <laughs> yeah. your yeah. commitment to Blue versus Blue. Yes. Um, so I think next time, maybe on the podcast, we'll get into talking about exactly what next year is going to look like for both teams as we figure out um, a little bit past these deadlines what the teams are actually going to have on their rosters and, and whether or not... Specifically, um, Andrew Wiggins is going to end up in Chapel Hill. And, and if Tarek Black is going to end up in, in Durham. Yeah, exactly, which could really change the look of your team so Very much. much. Yes, yes. So, yep, and uh, so we'll be back next time to talk about 2013-2014, kind of break that down position by position. If you're not already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Check us out on blueversusblue.com. And uh, once again, as we head out here, just got to say thank you to uh, Mr. Bart Matthews. Go Duke! And Mr. Alex Smith. Andrew Wiggins. Oh, it's really catchy. Yeah.
really catchy. Andrew, you don't want to hear that for, for a year, do you? That's, that's, that's horrible. Andrew Wigan. <laughs> Ender Wigan. For, uh, for the Blue vs. Blue podcast, this is Zeke Smith saying good night, good luck, especially if you're wearing Carolina Blue. Goodbye, everybody.